Hey, this is Gregory Bloom. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is about all things food, including growing food, harvesting food, processing food, and the culinary arts side of food. And this summer, we'll be talking to farmers, ranchers, some food processors, chefs, and uh, restaurant owners. We'll be on every Wednesday at 12.30. So join us for your lunch hour, or you can listen to any of our past shows by going to gregorybloom.com and clicking on the podcast radio show tab there. Um, you can also send questions there too. So Food Chat is about reconnecting you to food. I'm Gregory Bloom. I'm your host. I grew up on a farm outside of Brighton, Colorado. I've spent my entire career, 31 years now in the food business, working in six different USDA inspected food plants. And if you missed any of the first two shows, which we did, which were aired uh, last week and the previous week, here at 1230 on Wednesdays, you can find them at GregoryBloom.com. Our first show was about myths in food production, like label claims on the label that you see in the store that are confusing, like product of USA, no hormone claims, and a few others. And then last week's show, I interviewed John Jaramillo from the Colorado Hispanic Restaurant Association, which is new. It's about a year old. And also, by the way, after that interview, 52 Magazine entered uh, are actually published a great piece, a write-up on the Hispanic Restaurant Association. You can go to 5280.com and type in Hispanic chef uh, in the search box and find a great write-up on um, what they're doing with the Hispanic Chef Association here in Colorado. So um, next week I'll have a great guest on, a local sh top chef. We'll be talking about the food scene this summer in Colorado, food events, food bazaars, some fun things you can you can plan on for, for, for your summer for going to some food events and tasting some great Colorado local food. Hey, but today I have uh, my friend Michael Hiracata on the show to talk about what he does. And um, I'm going to introduce Michael. Michael, are you, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Michael, tell us about you and your family and how you got into farming, your family, and how long you've been farming, a little bit about your operation. Uh, I'm, my name is Michael Heracotta, and I am a fourth-generation farmer. We grow, uh, we've been growing produce and um, farming here in the Rocky Ford area for about a hundred and um, hundred and five years or so. Um, my family immigrated here from Japan, and um, they found this area to be very, I guess, friendly to Japanese people. So they they uh, rented the ground and they started farming a, a, long, a century ago. And uh, then, you know, they passed that on to my uncles and my dad, and, and they eventually passed that on to me and my cousin. And uh, we're passing it all along to our sons and daughters, and uh, hopefully they'll keep it going and um, last another hundred years. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm going to ask you a question about the sustainability of that your your farm uh, at the end here. But I've been to your farm a couple times. Uh, for people listening that don't know where Michael's farm is, it's in the southeastern part of Colorado along the Arkansas River um, near the La Junta Lamar area. Am I saying that right, Michael? Yeah, La Junta Lamar, uh, southeast, about 60 miles southeast of Pueblo. 60 miles southeast of Pueblo. So if I remember right, it's about an hour drive east from Pueblo. Is that right? Yeah, and that's a great. Why? Why is that area a good crop, a good area for for growing melons? You know, it's it's the combination of the heat, heat of the day, and the cool of the night. We're getting um, right now. We're getting 
about a 30 degree swing in temperature from you know mid 90s to the mid 60s so that's that kind of forces the fruit to pull in more sugar ah that's good to and, know and something to do with the soil and then the, the water and and uh you know but a lot and the altitude too a lot has to do with the altitude colorado's altitude most most fruit grown in the united states is better from colorado take the you know the peaches uh, the cherries and the vegetables too, like the sweet corn. Everything is better in Colorado, but I'm extremely biased. Yeah, well, you're. That's okay. That's okay. You have the right to be. <laughs> um, tell us about what what do you what have you planted so far this spring, and, and and what do you have left to plant, and what are you what are you growing this year? Uh, we've planted cantaloupe, watermelons, and some pumpkins, uh, honeydew, um, and some organic cantaloupe and organic watermelons. We're finishing up. Um, planting some uh, a little bit of cantaloupe down, but we still have quite a bit of uh, pumpkins to go. Okay, so you plant the pumpkins at last after the melons, typically. Yes. Yeah. Well, we we start pretty early with the pumpkins too, because uh, you know every year it seems like the pumpkins uh, they they start pulling pulling them a little bit sooner. So uh, uh, we we plant earlier every year. We usually ship ship uh, pumpkins about the. Uh, the end of August. End of August for the pumpkins. Yeah. Okay. It gives yeah. it gives the stores plenty of time to get them into distribution before Halloween, which is when they're sold. I've been down there for a planting one year, a few years ago, Michael. Now, for people who haven't been to a melon operation before, they might not understand that these aren't you know these aren't grown these aren't planted on pivots. Pivots are the for people that don't know a pivot is that's what we call a circle. When you're flying in the airplane, you see all the circles in the ground. Um, those are pivots. Uh, Michael, you're not growing on pivots, are you? No, we grow all of our produce either on flood irrigation, which is the straight, the rows uh, down the field, or um, drip irrigation. Uh, that's how we put, grow all of our cantaloupe and watermelon. All of our produce is grown on that because it's a, it's a, little, it's a lot more efficient, and you're more efficient with your time, and you, you save, uh, save on the water or I don't know if you save on the water, but your timing on the water is, is better. And it, it, our yields have gone up. And we also use a, a plastic mulch to uh, cut down on the uh, pesticide and herbicide use and the weed pressure. And, and to also conserve the water because it's, it's covered the uh, row and it doesn't let anything evaporate. Yeah, if I remember right, your tractor, as I was kind of filming behind the tractor, it's laying down this, uh, what is that, about six foot wide uh, mulch barrier underneath and underneath that's the seeds of course and then the drip irrigations in the soil do i remember that right yes it's, it's about 54 inches and um you know the tractors we use gps so everything is straight and less diesel fuel less wear on the tire less um less time in the field okay and then tell us about like at at harvest time what happens in I'll bring you back on at harvest time if you're not too busy. When, when you might be too busy at harvest time to talk to me, but tell us, kind of walk us through what, what's going to come to, um, what's going to be ready first, and, and how do you harvest it? What's the process? Okay, I think right now it looks like the cantaloupe and watermelon, the seedless watermelon or seeded watermelon will be ready first. Um, but what will happen is we'll move on the cantaloupe, we'll move some uh, a machine to the uh, field like a... Um, like a conveyor belt. And uh, we'll look for the ripe cantaloupe, which we, we always pick completely ripe. Every, everything we pick is ripe. So there's not, we don't 
you don't have to let it sit when you buy it. You don't let have to let it sit at home. It's just ready to eat. So we'll, we'll move that to um, to to the field and with trailers, and then we will pick it out of the field and take the cantaloupe after the trailer is full to a our uh, processing plant where we will give the cantaloupes a shower with some uh, some antibacterial um, and some melon soap. And then we will pack them in a carton and then cool them down to about 38 degrees. Okay. You have to cool them down. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen your packing yeah. shed where you, you have this wash system and then they go into pack off and then they go into these cold rooms. Uh, I've seen that. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing that you taught me that um, I've used a ton uh, since my visit down there that I think people would be interested in hearing your thoughts again, um, but share with us how to, how to know when you're in the store if you're getting a good melon and we'll talk more about how to find out if it's your melon versus a another melon but how do you know if a cantaloupe or a, a watermelon is ready are any of them in the bin fine to just grab and go home but or, or how do, how would you know if a melon's ready uh, you know, like a cantaloupe it, it's it's a little bit different because people like a, like some cantaloupe that are a little bit uh, on the greener side mm -hmm. um, and some like it a little bit on the riper side so if you you know if you like it on the greener side just make sure the, the outside is very firm firm to touch and not soft uh, but you always want to make sure it's, it's got a straw to, straw color to it or an orange we we always say orange but it's it's more of a straw color and um if the if you like it a little bit more ripe uh, make sure it's a little soft and has a little bit of a sweet smell to it, or a fruity smell to it, um, and that'll the the meat inside will be a little bit softer. Yeah, I push around the stem. I find the stem end, and which is easy to identify, and I kind of push on it. And if it gives a little bit, then that's that's the kind I like. It's a little bit softer. Uh -huh. And if it doesn't give uh -huh. it all, if it's just really hard, then I notice. Then yeah. I know that's that's not ready. And then I'll smell the stem. And and I can smell a sweet. I can smell the melon, basically, right? Yeah, you can smell, it, especially uh, melons from uh, Rocky Fork. Yeah, they have a nice. They'll, sweet they'll, yeah, they're very pungent, and they'll have a nice sweet smell to them. Okay, and then what about a watermelon? I use the thump thump thump. I try to listen for yeah. the hollow sound. But tell us about what your thoughts are on that. That's that's kind of what we use, and it's like a deep, a deep thump that will resonate through the whole watermelon. You don't want a flat thump. Um, I hope I'm explaining it right, but if it's flat and it doesn't vibrate through the whole watermelon, it's overripe or right. it has a hollow. So what we look for is a, is a deep, deep thump, and, a, and it resonates through the whole watermelon. And also in the field, when we pick it, they, um, the guys, uh, they, there's a little curly cue on there, and if it's uh, brown, we we pick it. I see. So we, the 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 guys in the field they kind of they're kind of experts, and they know know what to pick. They are experts. <laughs> so when they go through the fields, they're not just picking every single uh, melon at no. that time. They're they're just picking what's ripe, correct? Right. Yes. Uh, on the cantaloupes, we pick probably for we have about ten to fourteen pickings, um, and the watermelons we have about. Uh, five, five pickings or so, somewhere around there. 
Okay, well, that's a lot of times through the field. And then are you, you have people like on the ground doing that. It's not mechanical, right? It's actually people looking to see if the okay. melon's ripe and putting it on the, on the conveyor. Yeah, it's very labor-intensive. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I just want to go back to, if you're looking for that perfectly ripe watermelon, whether it's a hiracata melon or um, if it's before the season, uh, those are in the stores, then you just, you know, tap on those watermelons. And I listen for the lowest tone, the the more, like Michael's explaining, the yeah. lowest kind of deep tone. And you can hear it kind of reverberate throughout the whole watermelon if it's kind of a flat tone or a high tone then i go to the next one is that a good way to explain it yes and then you know look at the, the outside too if it has a good um green green color to it and it's um, it's not yellow or whitish it should be a pretty good watermelon what about sometimes on the melons they look great like most of the melon looks beautiful but they'll have a a white spot on the bottom. That's just where they touch the ground, right? Yeah, that's where it sits. And that melon might be fine, even though if it's got the white spot on it, right? Yes, most uh, most of the watermelons do have a, a white spot on the belly of it because that's you know, that's where it sits, and um, you know it just doesn't get get the sun in it. You know, maybe the dirt or something rubbed against it when it was a little, and it rocked it back and forth with the wind. Okay. Yeah, right. So yeah, people are just listening. If you you don't have to put back a watermelon if it sounds good, has that nice deep tone that resonates throughout yep. the whole melon, but it's got a you know six inch white spot on the bottom. That's still that's still good. But I know it's no fun when you yep. take a watermelon home and you're gonna have a picnic or you've got your kids and your grandkids over and you're gonna cut into a watermelon and you're like, oh man, it's just it's overripe, it's soft and it's spoiled yep. or or it's just not ready yet. Usually it happens that it, with the watermelon in my case. My experience is it's mostly that they're overripe, not underripe. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, um, tell us some. I know people can go to your website, Michael, which is HiracataFarms.com, and you have a list there of where people can find your melons when they come into season in the mm -hmm. Colorado stores. But why don't you go ahead and tell tell us where where we can find your melons this fall? Okay, um, we ship to King Supers, uh, City Market, Safeway, Whole Foods. Um, let me think, uh, Walmart, Target, I think Trader Joe's, we ship to all the major retailers in, uh, in Colorado. And it's, mo most of our, our cantaloupe stay and watermelon stay on the front range because, um, the population has grown quite a bit and, uh, there's a huge demand, demand for our product here in Colorado. How do people know, like, if they're looking for one of your watermelons versus an imported one? When I say imported one, I mean no disrespect, because right now there's watermelons in the stores, and obviously they're not from this area because it's not harvest time yet. They're all right now. They're all from Mexico. Some of those watermelons are great. I've had good ones. I've had bad ones. But how do people know if they're getting a Hiracata Farms melon when they're shopping in this this fall? There'll, there'll be a, a sticker on there that says um, "grown" or grown by uh, growing in Rocky Ford, Colorado, Hiracata Farms. Okay. So look for the sticker on each melon. Yeah, look for the sticker. Yeah, look for the sticker on on each melon in the same way with the cantaloupe. And our our cantaloupes do look a little bit different. They're um, they're not the perfect western shipper. We kind of we grow a an eastern shipper, so they're not the perfect melon on the outside, but they're they're way better inside. They, do you they just 
They have a distinct look to them. Do you mean they look a little funny or they look a little different than a conventional cantaloupe? Or what do you mean? Yeah. They have sutures, you know, like the ribs. Oh, yeah. So they look, they're not the smooth, perfectly round cantaloupe. They're a little oblong and they, they have the, the sutures in it. And uh, um, it's kind of unique to, on this side of the United States, we're one of the only few few people that grow this variety of cantaloupe. Okay, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. They're not perfectly round, and and they yeah. do have that that kind of stitch suture kind of webbing look yeah. to them. Yeah, I, I, it's very easy yeah. to identify. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about um, farming in general. We've talked about what you grow, but farming in general in that part of Colorado. Um, what are you seeing over the last you know decade? What kind of changes have you seen in the farming community down there? Are some are they making it? Are are people that have been farming for generations like your farm? As are they are they able to keep going? Or are some farms folding? Or what's kind of the the scene down there? Um, you know the the farmers are definitely getting older. I uh, I'm I'm 52 and I'm probably one of the younger farmers or. Yeah, I'd say one of one of the younger farmers, but there's a there's a couple families with their kids that are coming up, that um, uh, with a you know few younger kids, and it's um, it's very hard. Uh, you know, we our water situation isn't perfect. Every year, we it seems like we are, we're in a drought, or we have too much water, or we have too much water and a drought in the same two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very challenging with the water, um, with the water, uh, the water situation with the snowpack and um, and how the uh, how the weather is hitting us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. This is a good time for me to talk about our sponsor. Our sponsor today is RanchFreshMeats.com. You cannot buy a watermelon at RanchFreshMeats.com because they only sell products that are frozen, specifically meats. Uh, family-owned company. My family owns RanchFreshMeats.com, and we bring to you the best quality meats from farms, ranches, and food plants that we vetted out as being the best in the industry for quality and food safety and how they treat their animals. You know, Father's Day is Sunday, so if you haven't got a Father's Day present yet, or you just want to get your dad or granddad a fun gift for this summer, um, to give them to grill, we've got some cool steaks, bison tomahawks, Wagyu tomahawks, you can buy just two at a time. You don't have to buy a whole case. And a tomahawk is a bone-in ribeye, so if your dad or granddad likes ribeyes, they would like a tomahawk and a bison tomahawk and a Wagyu tomahawk is very distinctive um, flavors. And, um, hey, if you don't want to go out and spend uh, two or three hours at a restaurant because you're waiting for an hour for a table and then it takes you a while to eat, if you'd rather just have a kind of a chilled, more casual, relaxed atmosphere at home and spend about half or maybe a third as much on that same restaurant quality steak, remember ranchfreshmeats.com. We've got some other steaks there, some certified Angus beef, Colorado high choice ribeyes, strips, tenderloins, whatever is the most favorite steak of your dad. So um, let's go Let's go back to Michael. Um, Michael, how do the prices of melons that come into this state, like from different states like Arizona, California, and even the Mexican ones, do they, do those, are those competitive? Like do they push your prices down when your melons are ready? Can you kind of get what you want, the market price you need for your melons to make it sustainable? Or do you, have to compete with those imported melons. 
we sometimes we do get a premium for our products, but they all you know it's always that price is used against us, and they do bring in they do bring in some um, cantaloupe from California while we're in season. Just and it it kind of um, you know we want to want everybody to be a hundred percent local, but some sometimes they aren't, and it does affect how much volume we ship out because they can produce it cheap. You know, they have better weather. Uh, Colorado, like I was talking before, has extremely, it, it's crazy weather. I mean, you know, you can have uh, snow one day, just like this last storm, you know, six inches of snow, and then it's gone the next day. Right. So um, our yields are not as good as California or Arizona or Mexico cause, because of our our uh, change in weather, the extreme weather we, weather we have here. and But that's also what makes, our fruit sweeter is that extreme weather the, the heat and the cool you know we don't have perfect conditions and that's what to me that's what makes our our melon better but um you know we can't compete with 2000 boxes an acre when we're getting maybe 800 boxes an acre and our costs are you know our costs are keep going up with uh, diesel fuel and 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 fertilizer so are you kind of able with all these big retailers you sell, are you able to kind of like, hey, here's what I need to make a small profit based on my inputs this year and the yield of my crops. This is what I need. And they're like, okay, we get it. We want to say, make you, you know, make sure you're sustainable and that you guys are viable. Or do they say, well, you know, Michael, that price is just a tad high right now because we can get them from California or from somewhere else cheaper. Do they have that kind of conversation with you? Yeah, they have. They're they're both ways. I mean, they want us to be sustainable, and uh, you know, but then again, they do use that against us sometimes. It's, uh, I mean, for the most part, the retailers uh, are very loyal to our product, and um, but you know, it, it's it's hard for, you know, for us here when we only have one season, um, in California, Mexico, you know, they have. You know, maybe two to three seed, two to three plantings a year. It doesn't freeze, and they, and they can grow in the winter time. Right. And it's it's hard to make them see, uh, see it our way. You know, you you're, it's kind of like a, we've got a premium product. They want it, people want to pay less for it because it's in the summertime. You know, it's in season, but in the winter time, you pay a lot more for a subpar product. Yeah, like right now, the the product right now is expensive and it's subpar compared to the fall crop that you'll have. So everyone listening, you know, one thing you can do to help a local family farm is when you're going into the stores, wherever you do your shopping this fall, and you're buying Hiracata Farms melons, hey, go talk to the produce manager or the general manager of the store just on your way out and say, hey, I really appreciate you supporting a local family farm that grows local melons you know if and if, you know if that melon costs you 30 cents or 50 cents or even a buck more than that imported melon then so be it you know a dollar isn't gonna buy you even a third of a cup of coffee anymore so just support a local local farmer you know but i think it's important that we support the local farmers and you know i, I always think you know you can't just like add up all your inputs add up your labor do your math for what you need for your gross profit to make a small profit and say, this is where we're going to market because it doesn't always work that way. Does it, Michael? No, especially now, you know, with, uh, with, um, the way, um, you know, the COVID is hit, it's, everything is kind of really up and down and it's, it's, it's hard to gauge your pricing because 
you can have a huge, like uh, last year, we had a huge swing in freight cost right in the middle of the season, and uh, we've never seen that before. Then the uh, box shortage, carton shortage, pallet shortage, it kind of um, kind of caught, a, caught us by surprise, and um, it's something I've never seen before. Yeah, and this year, too, I tell people all the time in the food industry, you know, the price of fuel affects everything produced in the food industry, but it lags, so you might yep. not see it. You know, we see it at the pump more immediately, like we're spending like five bucks a gallon. National average for a gallon of gas right now nationwide is four ninety nine. so it's going to cost you $70, $800 to fill up your car. Well, you might not see that in your food product until two, three, four months down the road, but, you know, you need fuel to get the product to the, to yep. the market, you know, and you have to pay that fuel bill, and so we're going to have to pay for it in the product. What about your other input costs besides fuel, which we all see? Are you seeing your input costs go up this year for, like, fertilizer and the and the other inputs you have? Yeah, fertilizer has uh, more than doubled. Um, labor, I think, has gone up 20%, 15%. I, I can't remember. Um, box increases, you know, 30%. Um, it's hard to get you know, the t- tires for the tractors, they've gone up quite a bit. If you can even get them, uh, er- everything has just gone up across the board. Yeah, it all adds up and it all takes out of your bottom line. And uh, it, yeah. it makes it really hard to to be viable. Now, what about, do you think that in, you know, your, can you pass what you guys have, you know, done for generations off to your next generation? Do you think it's viable in 10, 20, 30 years? I, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if it will be viable in ten or ten or thirty years, ten, twenty, thirty years. It's uh, everything is in flux so much. It's it's going to be it's going to be hard for me to want my my family to keep doing this. But it, that's all we we've, we've done. It's all we know. But um, you know, hope, hopefully we can crunch numbers are good enough to get it to where we can uh, make a profit right right keep going right well we hope you can hey michael thank you for joining us today here at food chat and uh, i'll look forward to talking to you this fall all right thank you greg Uh take care hey thanks for joining us today at food chat reconnecting you to food and i really appreciate your time so come on back next week Views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.